This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Uh, I want you to come with me, please, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. And Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. And Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. Reading from verse 3. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper... As he, this is uh, Mark 14, I'm reading from first. Being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask, a very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And then the same incident in Matthew 26, verse 6. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask, a very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you have not always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be a memorial to her. It would seem that there were three separate but quite similar anointings uh, with fragrant oil by woman upon the Lord Jesus during his three-year ministry. The first of which occurred uh, in the home of Simon the Pharisee. This is Simon the leper, but in the home of Simon the Pharisee. And Luke 7 gives us the details. But then the last two happened uh, during the very last days of Jesus' ministry on earth. Uh, one of them took place six days before the Passover at the home of Mary of Bethany. She was a sister of Martha and Lazarus. This was recorded in John 12. And the third anointing by a nameless woman in the home of Simon the leper, also in Bethany, two days before the Passover. And that's what we just read in Mark 14 and Matthew 26. Now there are a number of commentators who believe that the last two in the last week of Jesus' life was actually uh, done by just one person uh, Mary of Bethany and the reason why they say this is because of the similarities 
in the record. And when you read the both records, they are very, very similar. And also because both of them happened uh, in Bethany, which was a very small place. Uh, but I, I, I struggle with that. I have my doubts about that uh, appealing as it is. And the reason why I doubt that is because uh, neither Matthew or Mark recorded this woman's name. And Mary of Bethany would have been very, very familiar to them. No question about that. They would have known her well. They'd been in her home many times. And also, if there was two anointings by the same woman, the cost involved, I mean, it was exceptional enough that there had been one anointing with this very expensive fragrant oil, spikenard. But for somebody to afford two jars of this very expensive oil would just seem out of the question. And so whoever this woman was, and we don't know exactly who she was, it was her act of devotion to Jesus that was both incredible and very, very timely indeed. Now, if we were to harmonize all the stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of all the three anointings, that would be lovely. It would be a lovely picture you could build up. Uh, but we don't want to do that. We just simply want to focus on this one anointing here in the home uh, in Bethany here of uh, Simon the leper. And all the disciples were there. And this was destined to be a very poignant and a very precious moment in the life of Jesus. There's a number of uh, interesting issues involved here which we, we may touch on, literally just touch on, uh, particularly regarding Judas and the contrast between Judas and this woman. And uh, the contrast between this woman's honor and Judas's hypocrisy. And it's quite a contrast between the, 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 the thankfulness and the generosity of this woman and the greedy, grasping heart of Judas Iscariot. Now, we also don't know whether this was one of the women who went to the cross a few days later when Jesus was being crucified. The Bible doesn't tell us uh, whether this was her or not. Uh, maybe she had an inkling. We don't know this either, but maybe, maybe she had an inkling uh, that Jesus was soon to die. But whether she did this in ignorance or whether she did it on purpose with an understanding, again, we don't know. But what we do know, that it was a beautiful, lovely, and very touching and very timely act, this wonderful thing that she did for the Lord Jesus. Consider that just shortly after this, just within the next couple of days, that Jesus would be in agony of prayer in Gethsemane, that he would be arrested there, that he would be taken away to be tried before Annas and uh, uh, the different high priests that were there at that time, and Caiaphas, and also before the Sanhedrin, and then before Pilate, and then Herod, and then back to Pilate again. And during all of that time, that aroma, that fragrant smell would be upon his very garments. Uh, what would be so important about that? Well, it would remind him that in spite of his enemies, in spite of their hatred against him, in spite of the betrayal of Judas, 
in spite of the denial of Peter and the desertion of all of his disciples, in spite of all of that, here was someone that truly, truly loved him. And he would be reminded that he was loved before he died. Pity the man that goes to his grave without knowing that he is loved by somebody. But this morning I, I want to focus really on something that Jesus said about this woman. And it's found in Mark 14 verse 8. Simple words. She has done what she could. She has done what she could. This acknowledgement, this commendation, this approval of Christ reveals not only his heart, but the heart of the woman as well. This woman's gentle ministry became a memorial that we talk about to this day. She couldn't do everything, but she did what she could. She couldn't do very much, but she did what she could. She couldn't do perhaps what others could do, but she did what she could. All the little boy could offer Jesus was his lunch. Five small loaves, two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Actually, that was the instigation of the miracle, the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. He didn't have very much, but he did what he could. The widow of Zarephath, whenever the prophet came to her, she was down to the last little handful of meal at the bottom of her bar, the last little drop of oil in her jar, but she gave it to the prophet. It was all that she had, but she did what she could. Little boy gave his lunch, the widow gave her last, and this woman gave her lot. Do what you can for the master. Do all that you can for the master. It may not be what others can do. It may not be as much as others can do. But if you do what you can, she did what she could. And she was memorialized for it. The Apostle John is only mentioned three times in the whole book of Acts. Acts 1, Acts 3, and Acts 8. It seems that Peter and Paul are the ones that get the big mention. And consider that the early church then, after it started to explode, and after disciples went out and preached the length and breadth of the land, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the nations of the world, to the uttermost parts of the earth, what was John doing? He was doing what he could. His task to look after the mother of Jesus. I'm sure, I'm sure when he heard the stories that were coming back, I'm sure everything in him wanted to be out there, evangelizing, preaching, going to the nations. But he did what he could. And he did what he should. He looked after the mother of Jesus. Of course, later on in his life, he'd become the elder statesman of the whole church. The churches in Asia Minor were under his care. He was the longest lasting survivor of all of the disciples and apostles. And of course, there's a beautiful gospel 
with his name on it and three epistles and the wonderful book of Revelation. But there was a time he did what he could. So let's look for a few moments this morning at this woman. Let's look and see what we can learn from her action. First of all, the desire of her heart was right. It's good to start out when your heart is right. Jesus said in verse 6, she has done a good work for me. Jesus looked at what was in her hand as well as, Jesus looked at what was in her heart as well as what was in her hand. And often we only see what's in the person's hand, but never what's in their heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Therefore, whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That keeps her heart right. If we're doing it to the glory of God, you can be sure your heart is right. The heart is a difficult thing to keep right. The Bible talks about the heart many, many times. Easily deceived. And so we must make sure that everything we do, everything Paul says, do it to the glory of God. Make sure that what we do glorifies God. That keeps her heart right. She was motivated by love. Our motivation of her heart is a big thing with God. And she was motivated by love. That's what made her do what she did. She loved Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ compels us, constrains us. And that can mean one of two things, or both. That it's Christ's love in us wants us to do whatever we do and motivates us, enables us, encourages us. Or because we love Christ. Or because Christ loves us. Either one of those compels us, constrains us. So make sure that our motivation to do what we do is our love for the Lord. That motivates us. Her motive was questioned. In verse 4 and 5, her motive was questioned. Nobody else in that house that day would have done what she did. Even if they had a, had an alabaster box, I seriously doubt if anyone else but this woman would have poured it out over Jesus. And yet, her motive was questioned. Matthew 26, 8 and 9, But when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Now the disciples were hardworking, conscientious men. And whenever they saw this, they could hardly believe their eyes. They saw only in terms of what was in her hand. They didn't see her heart. And when they looked at what was in her hand, they quickly summed it up. They knew the price of it, 300 denarii. 
They knew this was very, very expensive. And they also thought, well, I could find a better use for that. There's lots of poor people out there could be using this. Why this waste? All they saw was what was in her hand. They didn't see what was in her heart. And if you're following Christ, and if your devotion is for Christ, then people will sometimes misjudge you. And they will only see what you do. The materialist will look at your life and think, what a waste. All your talent, all your ability, all your time, all your effort, what's it going to? You could be using that to fulfill your ambitions in life. <laughs> they totally miss what's in your heart. And so they said, why this waste? The carnal mind, the carnal mind will always ever only see your action but never see your motive. That's all they will see. They'll only ever see what's in your hand, but never what's in your heart. They will always see your love and your devotion to Jesus as a waste, because they wouldn't do it. And they can't understand why in the world you would do it. Why would you do this? Why would a missionary leave their home and their family and their friends and everything they've ever known? Why would they leave and go to the other side of the world? Why this waste? Why would somebody give up their whole career, their whole future, as it were? Why would they give all of that up? Why this waste? That's what the carnal mind thinks. Why would some people, men and women, why would they remain single and celibate to serve the Lord? Why this waste? That's what the carnal mind would think. C.T. Studd, many, many years ago, was a famous English cricketer. He was a very wealthy man. And there came a point where he gave everything up to serve the Lord. Now the Lord may not ask everybody to give everything up, but he'd want us to have a heart that at least be willing to do that if necessary. And he was willing, and he gave everything up. People thought it was such a waste, such a talent, such a gift, <laughs> such fame, such fortune. But they didn't see his heart. They only saw what was in his hand. <coughs> But devotion to Jesus, no matter how costly, will never, ever be a waste. Whatever you devote to Christ, whatever time, whatever talent, whatever ability, whatever money, whatever gifting you have, it will never, ever be a waste in the sight of God. Maybe in the sight of men, maybe even the sight of your own family, but not in the sight of God. Now, it would seem, before we move on here, it would seem that this woman's act of devotion was the tipping point for Judas. For a long, long time, Judas had harbored in his heart animosity towards the master. But he was good at concealing it. He hid it in some kind of feigned show of love of ministry. Not one disciple noticed it. 
He carried the bag, the Bible says. He was the treasure. They saw what was in his hand, but they never saw what was in his heart. And his heart was black. And his heart was evil. And it seems that what this woman did two days before the Passover was the tipping point. Why this waste? He would have loved to got his greedy, grasping hands on that to supposedly give it to the poor. And maybe some of it would have went to the poor, but the most of it would have went into his back pocket. And so when he saw this, he could take no more. And that's when he went out. And shortly after that, he betrayed Jesus. In Matthew 26, 15, he went to the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, what, uh, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. Now we often think that somebody, some Christian, if they, if they happen to fall into money, if they were left with or inherited a vast sum of money that we think they would backslide and that would be the end of church and God and all the rest of it. And some might. But here's a man for a paltry, measly price of a slave. He betrayed the very Son of God. What a contrast between this woman and Judas. It's easy to misjudge what's in a hand and what's in a heart. Not one of his disciples saw his heart. They treated him as one of theirs. Never once did they question him. But all the time, his heart was black. And it seems what this woman did was the final straw. And that's when he went to the priests. So the desire of her heart was right. The devotion of her heart was costly. 300 denarii a year's wages. Now in any generation, a year's wages would be a lot, wouldn't it? Doesn't matter how little somebody may earn, a year's wage is still a lot. True devotion has a price. It involves sacrifice, self-denial, laying down our lives, surrendering our wills, being prepared to take the road less traveled. Not the narrow way, not the broad way, but the narrow way. And so as believers, we're called upon to sacrifice. The follower of Christ has many advantages in this life. We have certainties, we have assurances, we have guarantees to hold on to, we have eternal life to look forward to, but sooner or later we'll find that there's a price, there's a cost involved in following Christ. In, in Matthew chapter 10, In verse 34, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And so Jesus here is very, very adamant that at some point or other we're going to face having to pay a price to be a follower of Jesus. And it's not that it's not that we're to be offensive. God forbid that we deliberately be offensive to people. But that what we believe is an offense to many people. And what we believe sometimes is an offense even to our own families. Now we're fairly safe in Northern Ireland. Nobody's out to kill us. But if we were living today just a few hours plane journey from here, then to announce that you're a follower of Christ could cost you your very life. The very least it would cost you would be disowned, being disowned by your own family and loved ones, not to be treated as a son or a daughter ever again. And so this is what Jesus is saying, to follow me, at some point there'll be a price to pay. You may lose some friends. Some family members may turn against you, but that's okay. That's part of the price that you may have to pay. That's about dying to self, taking up our cross and following Jesus. Not only dying to self, but, but dying to want to be accepted by everybody else at the expense of the cross. You see, there's, there's believers who, who want to be accepted by everybody in their workplace, everybody in their classroom, everybody on the factory floor, but at the expense of the gospel. So they water it down, or they hide their light, they put it under a bushel, because they don't want the hassle. They don't want what people's going to say to them. But Jesus said, this is part of taking up your cross and following him. There's a price to be paid at some point. In First Chronicles chapter 21, let me just, we'll not read all of this of course, but let me just uh, fill you in in First Chronicles chapter 21. Uh, King David, uh, being prompted by Satan himself, decides that he would, uh, he would count all the young men in Israel who could take up arms. In other words, he wanted to see how strong his army was. And Joab, his general, advised against this. He knew instinctively this is not right. Because to count all these men, what if there's less than what you thought, then you'll be afraid that your army is short against the enemies. And if it's more than what you thought, then you'll become proud and puffed up rather than looking to God. And so Joab advised him against it, but he was a king, and so his word would stand. And Joab went out from Dan to Beersheba and counted all the men who could take up arms and to be in David's army. And whenever he came back, uh, David then realized, I've done a wrong thing. This is not right. 
He realized this is wrong. But too late he had done it. And God is going to punish him. And God sent a prophet, Gad, to David and said, God is going to give you three choices for your punishment. Either you can choose three years of famine in the land or you can choose three months where your enemy will take up sword against you and defeat you. Or three days when the sword of the Lord will be like a plague in the land. And the angel will come and destroy Jerusalem. Now David's in a pickle. <laughs> He's got a big choice to make. He has to choose one of these three. And there's nothing good about any three of them, any of the three of them, is there? And so he said to God, he says, let me fall into the hands of the Lord. Not the hands of my enemy, but let me fall into the hands of the Lord. At least there's mercy in God. And okay, he chose the latter. And 70 men of Israel died in the plague. And the angel came to destroy Jerusalem. And the angel started to destroy Jerusalem. Got as far as the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And God relented and said, it's enough. And so the angel stayed his hand, he stayed his sword. And God sent word to David, now I want you to go and buy that land the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. I want you to build me an altar and worship me there. And so that's what David set out to do. So if I can just break into the story. Verse 20, Now Ornan saw and turned and saw the angel and, and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves, but Ornan continued threshing wheat. So David came to Ornan, and Ornan looked and saw David, and he went out from the threshing floor and bowed before David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor, that I may build an altar on it to the Lord. And you shall grant it to me at the full price, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. But Ornan said to David, Take it to yourself. Let my Lord the King do what is good in his eyes. Look, I also will give you the oxen for burnt offerings and the threshing implements for wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. But note this. Then King David said to Ornan, No, but I will surely buy it for the full price. Now listen to this. For I will not take what is yours for the Lord. For I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings of that which costs me nothing. In other words, I'm going to pay this price. You're not going to pay it for me. This is what I've got to give for the Lord. This is what I've got to do for the Lord. You're not going to do it for me. This is going to cost me would to God that every church member and every church in the land did that. There are people in every church in the land who give to the Lord as little as possible, not because they haven't got it, but because they're miserable and greedy to themselves. 
and they enjoy the benefits of all church life on the back of the generosity of others. And David said, not me. He could have took that, it was given to him as a gift, but he says, not me. I'm going to pay the full whack. This is my sacrifice I'm making, and you're not going to make it for me. If every believer made their sacrifice for God, for themselves, let me tell you, churches would be a lot better off. We could do an awful lot more. So he says, I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. And he counted out the money, and he paid the price. There's another little story of David too in the Old Testament where he was holed up in the cave of Adullam. He was surrounded by his mighty men. And uh, the Philistines were, were close by in Bethlehem, his city where he was born and reared. And as he was musing in his heart, he just happened to just to whisper. He wasn't asking anybody to do anything. He was just thinking out loud. Do you ever think out loud and say something? Maybe you're driving along the road and you're thinking and it just comes out. Well, that's what it was with David. Oh, that somebody would give me a drink of the water at the well in Bethlehem. Just thinking out loud. And suddenly, three of his mighty men, <laughs> they rose up and they went out. And he went to where the Philistines' hole was. And they got that water for David at the risk of their very lives. And they brought it back to David. They said, there you are. There's a drink from the well that you desired. And suddenly he realized that they had heard him and they had put their life on the line for him. Do you know what he did with that? He didn't drink it. He says, this represents these men's blood. And he poured it out before the Lord as a drink offering unto the Lord. Because he realized what that cost those men to do that. And it could have cost them their own lives. And so... Her desire of her heart was right. The devotion of her heart was costly. Whoever this woman was, we don't know. But what we do know is this alabaster box represented uh, a prudent past. She had been prudent, maybe even frugal. She probably scrimped and saved for years in order to accumulate this much Spikenard. Spikenard was a sap from a plant from India. So it didn't come cheap. That's why it was so costly. So you can imagine that to get this, whether she got it a bit at a time or whether she saved up and eventually got the lot, but it was very, very costly. What was it for? Maybe it was for, maybe it was her rainy day money. Maybe it was in her bottom drawer for maybe when she got married. Or if she was married, maybe it was for children. But it seemed to be for her future. But whenever she found Jesus, 
she found a better use for it. And so with love, she would lavish it on the master. What a beautiful, precious thing to do. Couldn't have done it at a better time. No wonder Jesus was so touched and impressed and so glad. No wonder he rebuked those disciples for their careless thoughts. All they saw was in her hand, but Jesus saw beyond that. He saw what was in her heart. He saw her gratitude, her thankfulness. And then thirdly and finally, the desire of her heart was right, the devotion of her heart was costly, the dedication of her heart was memorable. Verse 9, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Jesus conferred this memorial upon her, and history has confirmed it for this past 2,000 years. Little did that woman know that what she did that day, that two millenniums later, that preachers all over the world would be preaching about it, talking about it. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. In Acts 10.31, what Cornelius did was held in remembrance. The angel said, Cornelius, your arms are remembered in the sight of God. That Roman, he kept giving and giving and giving and giving to the Jewish cause. The angel says, in heaven, it has been recorded, it has been remembered. God keeps good records. God keeps books. Revelation 20 talks about the books were opened. God keeps books. He keeps records. Everything we do for him, there's a record of it. And when you have long since forgotten about it, <laughs> somebody may say to you, do you remember one time you and you're thinking, no, I can't even remember that. But God remembers. He's written down. And one day you will get your reward for what you have done for him, for his glory. Even, even a cup of cold water given in his name. <laughs> you shall not lose your reward. Isn't that wonderful? We've gone from this very costly alabaster box to even a cup of cold water. And yet in God's sight, if it's done with the right motive, with the right reason to glorify him, then we'll not lose our reward. So, do what you can. Maybe not what others can do. Maybe not as much as others can do. But do what you can. And do it with a heart of thankfulness and love unto Jesus. Others may misunderstand and not get it, but that's okay. You're doing it for him and for his glory. And he will reward you.
If not in this life, but certainly in the life to come. Glory to God. Let's pray. Lady, we thank you for her heart that just wanted to lavish her love upon you. Lord, give us hearts like that, that we too, Lord, will make our sacrifices, that we too will do what we need to do and to give to you our service, our dedication, our love, our time, our talents, everything, that we lay them at your feet and we bless you. And so today, Lord, whatever we have to offer, whether it's little or much, if it's all that we have, then, Lord, that will be a blessing. Not only will we be blessed, but your kingdom will be blessed and your heart will be blessed. So we praise you and we give you thanks. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk